Tonight on Unsolved Mysteries, Double Life in Lyons, Nebraska, Locust Grove Reunion, Update, Prison Break, and Chicago Confidential. Hi, I'm your co-host, Crystal. And I'm your other co-host, Robert. And this is Reenacted, an Unsolved Mysteries podcast. So, Crystal, are you excited about tonight's episode? Um, (laughs) I am, I'm, I'm going to struggle to to stay awake through us talking about it, I think. Uh, I, I know it's a terrible way to set up. Uh, our podcast. Um, I think this episode should be more, more of like an ASMR experience where people are trying to like listen to this uh, to be calmed as they're trying to go to sleep, or maybe they're stuck in traffic. Uh, I think we should probably do it in sort of monotone voices. <laughs> do our best, Ben Stein. Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, uh. Because uh, anyone who's who's following along, it's we're on season two, episode four, and uh, it, it it's. Uh, there's not a lot going on in this episode. I mean, one way or another. So I guess we can just like jump right in. Or we could take a, a brief uh, couple seconds so that people have something interesting to listen to at the very beginning of this podcast. Uh-huh. And then, uh, uh, you know, continue listening in the forlorn hope that <laughs> something interesting will also come along later. Uh, in our very uh, first experience trying to record a podcast you posed to me the question of when one should get rid of their underwear and mm. replace it with new underwear mm, yeah it was it was like we were babies back then you know yes. we were so young yes. and I remember. Uh, yeah and we've come a long way since then mm-hmm. uh and i now have an answer for you a definitive answer Fantastic. as opposed to just stumbling around the first time you asked that the answer is you buy the new underwear when your friends have given you a gift card to Kohl's or similar clothing store Mm. which is what I did this weekend excellent yeah so I have brand new underwear are you wearing Uh, them right now do you feel I am crisp does it feel fresh yeah it does yeah that describes it perfectly. I've been walking around feeling different, but I haven't been able to quite describe it. Also, I I don't know about you, but I think because I did take a picture of all my old pairs of underwear that mm-hmm. are now in the trash. Mm-hmm. When this episode drops, should we put a poll on Twitter asking people whether I should post a picture that picture? Only if you're ready for what will probably be a resounding no. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'll uh, I'll just be uh, thrilled that people are paying attention to us. I to as as I, I would be. So I think that's a great social media strategy, and you should definitely do that. <laughs> Excellent. Um, so then, uh, I guess with that out of the way, I'll I'll let you get to the second to 
most boring segment in tonight's episode. Um, yeah, it's a real snoozer. Uh, should we, I don't know, maybe should we should start with some breathing exercises? That's what people like is heavy breathing into the microphone, right? <sighs> Okay, uh, first segment is a wanted segment, and it takes place in Lyons, Nebraska, which we are immediately told is a uh, dinky little town, and we they interview some locals, one of <laughs> one of whom turns out to be a friend of the uh, the victim um, that basically poses the question: Why on earth would anyone move here unless you grew up here, or you move there for a job, hmm. or? You had family that lived there. And and it's funny because when she was describing that, that sounded exactly like how people who grew up in Dayton, Nevada, described Dayton. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it really struck a chord with me. Uh, By the- well, yeah, I mean, I don't really feel like it's a uh, ringing endorsement of that town, though, if they're immediately suspicious as to why anyone might want to live there. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Hey, Robbie, what do you think the odds are that Lyons, Nebraska, uh, has a pizza factory? Oh, uh, has does pizza factory extend that far east? But here's the thing I've learned about small town America. <laughs> uh, every small town in the United States has a pizza factory. So when I say small town, I mean with like a population on, under like 5,000 people. Yeah, uh, that's right, because you lived in a small town when you were living on an island or something? I can get confused about the order of how things happen to you in your, your life. Well, it's, it's not important, but you're correct, yes. Uh, we had a pizza factory in Clinton, Washington, which uh, is a very small and geographically isolated town. There's a pizza factory in Dayton, Nevada. Yeah. Um. So and Silver Springs, Nevada. <laughs> so this is fitting the model perfectly. I think there must be a pizza factory in Lyons, Probably, Nebraska. Maybe in that old, uh, that main street sort of set shot we got at the very beginning. Mm. Uh, assuming Walmart hasn't driven Main Street completely <laughs> out of business. All those shops are now empty. <laughs> I think Lyons is the kind of place that would be too small for even a Walmart. Wow. You know, there's probably a Walmart in the next town over or in the county seat, but but probably not in Lyons. Well, anyway, in October of 1986, Anna Marie Anton, uh, a stranger to everyone in town, moves uh-huh. moves into an apartment building uh, in this garbage town. Um, the story is that she's getting away from an ex-husband who was in a drug ring and that Anna had testified against him to put him in jail, but she was hiding out. Um, so when she's starting to meet people, I get the other part of this that's really str- strange, or at least in, in contrast to the rest of her story, is that she uh, was a daily churchgoer. Um, I didn't know that you could go to church every day, but I guess you can. Uh, so her... Her friend that they're interviewing says that uh, Anna, she didn't drive, apparently. She had some sort of uh, disability with one of her her legs, so she used a cane to get around, which is um, what we get in the reenactment. 
<laughs> is how, it... how would you rate the a- actress's uh, cane walking on a scale of one totally ridiculous <laughs> to ten being perfectly believable? I'd say it's about a three. So, so she's n- no Hugh Laurie. No, she's no Hugh Laurie. She's kind of she's she's putting a little more wobble in it than I think <laughs> is necessary, probably. Um, uh, can we tell I'm just not into this segment at all? <laughs> oh, it was such a struggle to get through. Um, really, Crystal, the your your your. I'm, re- I'm, re- so, I'm I'm apologizing to our listeners because we want them to listen to this, but I wouldn't blame them if they turned it off right now and went and listened to a better podcast, or even <laughs> just some you know white noise. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now I think you're confusing our podcast with the episode we're watching, which oh, I yeah. would rather watch white noise. But yeah, I mean it, it's it's very fascinating. You know, they they give a depiction of this woman. She moves to this town. Uh, attends church daily and they uh, both those are, are really kind of played up in a subtle sort of way like and and we you don't really think about it too much until later in this segment uh, because of some of the twists and turns that come along mm-hmm. um, apparently upstairs from Anna the town's police chief has an apartment mm-hmm. and uh, so one day, the blonde friend, whose name I didn't get, the one that's been trashing her town this whole time, uh, she goes to deliver some groceries to, to Anna's apartment, and she's knocking on the door, and no one answers. She tries calling. Um, a couple days go, goes by, and she doesn't hear from Anna, so she finally calls the police. Well, the police come in, and all they find at first uh, is an outfit laid out on Anna's bed, and... Uh, and she she left her shoes as well. So I guess she left her wintertime shoes because it was wintertime. And so that was very strange. Um, they didn't really find anything else out of the ordinary. Um, Robbie, am I forgetting something? Uh, no, though. Uh, I mean, I, I, uh, are you going to mention how her friend picked up her address book and was said was said she was going to start calling her acquaint her all of her contacts? Right, right. So the friend calls all of the contacts, and they find. No. It, oh, yes. No, 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 no. You're missing the most important thing. She's yes. well, well, because like she says, oh, we should, you know, call the people. And what what does the uh, the sheriff do when she suggests that? I don't. He, I don't know. I feel like this is a test of how okay. closely I paid attention to the segment. He, <laughs> okay okay gosh uh well all right i'm sorry i didn't mean to make you feel on the spot here he he, he, he reaches over and and takes it out of her hands and mm. it's like maybe i should be doing that and at first my first reaction was it was kind of one of those mansplaining sort of mm. uh things and then i thought oh well no actually he's the sheriff so maybe you know, it would be proper for him to be making these calls. And then, of course, we, we find it something else out at the end. Um, uh, so I, I just, but the way he, he did it, it very, it, it's probably the, to me, it was the third most interesting bit of the reenacting was just uh, this reenactor reaching out, taking it from her hands, you know. 
Yeah. Is, is this, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm confusing it with a bit where at what point do we find out that Anna's story about her ex-husband being a drug dealer is totally bogus? Uh, sometime after they find the body. Oh, okay. So she's dead. Yeah. Uh, and they find okay. her. <laughs> they uh, find her body in a field. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, uh, oh, uh, oh, you're and you're right. They they call somehow calls are made and you know, they they find out that the drug dealer boy ex boyfriend is a totally bogus story. Yeah, and uh, and and when they found Anna's body, um, she'd been like meticulously cleaned up. Uh, although she had been there for a while, uh, they also tested her and she had a really high blood alcohol level when she was killed, um, which her friend s- seemed to think was very unusual because Anna wasn't much of a drinker, at least that she knew about. Right. Uh, so, yeah, so they so they asked around about the ex-husband. Um, he hadn't been convicted of anything at all and he had an alibi for the, for the time that Anna disappeared. Um so this guy Krieger, he's he's a state patrolman, right? He's with the state police. It's some sort of state law enforcement. Yeah. Um what I got really hung up on is I think he might be our first like law enforcement officer without a mustache. <laughs> uh he is one of a very small cl- and exclusive club uh of unsolved mysteries law authority law enforcement figures yeah he 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 does not have any facial hair um has sort of like um you know a, a decent grayish black thing of hair on top of his head that has like a, a comb to the side look um, so, so he's, he's being interviewed for this segment, but, um, he's actually involved in the reenacting as well. So he is, he plays himself. Uh, so he goes back to the scene, uh, Anna's apartment at some point and they start really tearing the place apart and they find, um, a trail of blood that had been attempted to be, be cleaned up between Anna's apartment leading upstairs to uh the police chief webb greg uh-huh. webb's apartment uh what i thought i find is really interesting every time we see greg webb throughout this segment he is in uniform like he never he doesn't yeah. have like civvies that he wears like if he's <laughs> casually hanging out at home he's probably in uniform it's it's like in the the police uh the not police cat um Naked Gun movie where the the gag is Leslie Nielsen's taking his date back to their apartment, and he's like, "Let's uh, let's get into something a little more casual." And then they come out, and he's wearing like a much more formal suit than he was wearing, like he's about to go to the Academy Awards or something. <laughs> um, so I'm I'm curious, is this uh, the the blood trail? Are are you talking about like when they they use they use the lights to? follow the path of the the blood droplets yeah i think that's right i think they were using um something like uv lamps to to find the blood and a special chemical uh, something called illuminarium or something which apparently is a special chemical used to uh find blood (laughs) which i I don't know about you but illuminarium or whatever it was called when i heard heard the name it just reminded me it like it of any mo- sci-fi movie or anything where there's like some sort of substance or <clears throat> element or whatever 
that, you know, it has a name that describes exactly what its relevance is to the plot. Mm-hmm. Like, like an avatar that, that they're, the humans are there mining something called unobtainium. Because mm-hmm. it's, so diff- it's so rare that that's like the only, one of the few places you can find it. Because uh, other because it's unattainable, um, so I I just wanted to mention that, and also you're are are you gonna bring up the topic of the diner conversation that the all the law enforcement people have? There was a diner conversation. Oh man, you missed the wow! I, I guess I in, took in, extensive in, notes on this segment, and I guess I miss I missed the best bits. Yeah, if you um, it, it it precedes the the blood uh, trail search, um, and it it is one of the most fascinating for me. Like the the local sheriff is there with um, Krieger and three or four other law enforcement people, mm-hmm. and the they're they're discussing the case, and Krieger like. You know, he he's he's gained some of the details out, out of uh, Sheriff Webb, and he then he asks him point blank, "Were you and her ever intimately involved?" Oh right, yeah. And he gives like the most guilty response you could possibly give in this reaction. First, he's like, uh, "No," and then he immediately looks down away. Then he brings a. <laughs> this cup of coffee up to his mouth <laughs> and then like looks up from the coffee at that at, at Krieger I did it for her I did everything for her and now she's gone I, I, like four steps that that just scream absolute lie so then Krieger asks him in the same tone of voice in the same manner the exact same question again and then Webb admits, yeah, we did hook up at least once or something. I, I, I don't know. Like, I, I guess maybe this segment was just so boring that this one bit of the reenactment really stuck out to me. <laughs> Apparently you fell asleep. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm falling asleep just thinking about this segment. Um, yeah. But there's a twist. So I guess it does get exciting. Okay. Um, this whole act that Anna was putting on for her lions, lions town folk, uh, didn't really match up with this other personality she had going on over in Arlen's Park, which probably also has a pizza factory. Yeah. Um, she's described as a real bar floozy. I'm sure I've heard that term before, but uh-huh. I haven't heard it used in years. Um, I think this was probably the last time it was used. It was actually used. Yeah, I. Yeah, it, it, it was a fascinating. It, it was well, not a fascinating. It was an interesting enough twist that I did spend some time wondering. Like, what do you think her the deal was with uh, Anna? Do you think? she was putting on a false front with the church attendance and moral living. Uh, do you think she just had sort of conflicting aspects of her personality that she, you know, she struggled with? 
yeah, so I think the deal with Anna, and I hate to disparage the dead, is she's probably a little bit of a drama queen. Um, I think she, there's some story, the further we get into the segment, about she had met Greg Webb at a bar in Arlen's Park. That's how they knew each other. So before Anna even moved to uh, Lions, she knew Greg. And so this whole story about how she wanted to live in the same building as a cop, as protection from her ex-husband, all of this was totally garbage. Um, she probably moved to Lions with the idea that her and Greg were going to like be an item. I guess it didn't go that way. It's true what they say. Cops and women don't mix. It's like eating a spoonful of Drano. Sure, it'll clean you out. But it'll leave you hollow inside. So, um, Greg ends up having another girlfriend who comes over from time to time, and Anna lives right below him, and she can hear all of this, and she would tell her friend, her blonde friend in Lions, that, like, she just thought this premarital sex was just unacceptable, and she, like, blessed his apartment door or something with holy water. I don't know how much, how true any of that is. That's a, that's a very good and insightful analysis of this. It's almost as if you just spend five minutes in a room by yourself thinking about all that. It is almost like that. Um, um, I... <laughs> yeah, but I, I think that's a pretty good pretty good explanation. Like I, I guess that actually makes more sense than me trying. I was thinking, you know, maybe this was someone who. You know, was trying to kick the partying and drinking habit, and they thought like, well, maybe if I, um, maybe I could find, you know, maybe I could dig myself out of this, and this, so. But then they, so they start attending church, but they're trying over. They're 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 attending church every day, trying, you know, just sort of going in two opposite directions at the same time. But I like your your description. I the think best. she was just a little wacky, and I think. Right. Just just wants people to pay yeah, drama yeah. queen. Pay um, attention. She goes to the bar, you know, is, is saying hi to everyone. Uh she goes to church every day, just you know, so people are always paying attention to her. Like, that's sad. <laughs> um, right. And I think these stories she's telling her friend about this guy upstairs um are sort of just to elicit sympathy. Yeah. Even though Anne's kind of the one that took the leap and moved in right below the sky without any like promise of commitment. So <laughs> right. I, I she was making some questionable decisions. Um so what the cops think happened is that she had had enough of Greg and his girlfriend and she went upstairs to there was some confrontation and I I think this happens in the reenactment. They staged this mm-hmm. argument. Um with the door slowly like closing on its own just as you start to see them get at it yeah so i don't know what could possibly i mean i i also understand greg's position which is that now he sort of has this problem downstairs (laughs) that he can't get away from i don't know maybe they couldn't get out of their leases in the apartment building or something but Mm -hmm. i don't know how it comes down to him killing her I don't understand. I don't understand that. Uh, you make a good point. Um, it doesn't really. This this 
particular murder really doesn't seem justified. Not not that any murder. <laughs> not like all those other murders. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I, I guess I got so in. Uh, uh, I, I was so fo- focused on like the methodology. I didn't really question the motivation. <laughs> um, well, I can see I'll- that like it would be annoying from Greg's perspective. <laughs> I don't know how that escalates to murder though and and they don't really get it in in the show in the segment they don't really get into the gruesome details of like i don't think they explained how she was murdered no okay. not at all like uh, you know just i mean her her blood got ended up being spilled but we have no idea i i don't think in any way all we get is a reenactment of him carrying uh, what is clearly a human body <laughs> wrapped up out to the trunk of his car in broad daylight. Yeah. Well, it's and, mo- it looks like it's more at sunrise. And I honestly thought this was a really beautiful shot. Actually, it was. Yeah. I mean, they have this pretty field and Greg's got this, you know, her body in his arms. And in any other circumstances, it would have been a really nice final scene in a movie. <laughs> right, right. If, if, if this this was a uh uh his his one true love and like she had died counter to his wishes or she, yeah or she was dying and he was like taking her home to her homeland oh. um instead what he was doing is dumping her body in an indian reservation so that he would cause <laughs> jurisdiction problems when they tried to prosecute him this is a really weird update because i think we mentioned this before that the the, the editors of this show are now going and taking updates from way in the future and then tacking them on to the episode where the case is first discussed. So I think this yeah. will come up again. What um, Stack uh, mentions is that when they reran this segment in 1993, um, also we should probably mention they never, Greg Webb took off and the cops in Nebraska never saw him again so that's that was the wanted part of the segment um so anyway uh they reran the segment in 1993 um and then they uh got a call i don't remember where from but from a guy who was working construction with Mm -hmm. greg um they even interviewed the tipster and boy was he proud of himself (laughs) have you ever seen anyone pat themselves on the back more than him i i had the exact same thought when i i I saw this segment i mean damn he is just beaming his smile is like you know is reaching up to the bottoms of his ear he is so pleased with himself i mean i I, and plus he has like some of the most curly curly hair i've seen so far on this show (laughs) um Um, uh so and then we interview krieger again so i think this is happening three or four years after the original broadcast yeah um and then krieger nailed greg's ass to the wall he was like gotcha (laughs) bitch And uh, anyway, they ended up, uh, Greg Webb and his lawyers ended up pleading down uh, to manslaughter charges. um, And then he served eight years and he's since been released. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Robbie, um, did you like this segment? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, this episode's going to be difficult, us trying to ask that question with a straight face and not breaking up. Um,. (laughs) 
you know, I guess if I judge it by the standard of this episode, mm-hmm. um, it did have a couple of little reenactment moments I liked. The the diner scene I thought was was pretty amusing. I if you can just skip to that and just watch it for a few uh, for a minute, it, it, watching watching Sheriff Webb's reenactor squirm and give the most blatantly like you know like no i didn't do it like the most guilty looking face tone of voice body language um other than that yeah this was not too exciting um i think it could have been though because i think all the elements are there for for someone well, a person living a double life. Yeah, but uh, on the other hand, you want to be respectful to the dead. But I think in this particular case, had they made it a more exciting segment or possibly more realistic, it would mm-hmm. have been kind of disrespectful to the woman who was murdered because she she sounded pretty unstable. Yeah. So. Yeah, I can't really think of her doing anything that would justify being murdered. No, I can see her. Be- I can see how she might have been like a total nuisance to Greg, but I, <laughs> I mean, dude, you can't just stab your way out of problems, you know. Tell me about it. <laughs> <laughs> I just had a mental image of you like uh, not being able to open a bag of chips and just going at it with a knife. That's immediately what I picture. Uh, and then just the chips fifth. getting everywhere. I'm taking the fifth on that. <laughs> Robbie, yeah. do we want to talk about the next segment of the the mullet and family? The mullet family, pure pure 1980s mullet. Um, yeah, it's it's a nice little story. Um, it's about uh, it. It this takes us back to the early '60s in Oklahoma, mm-hmm. Locust Grove, I guess. God, um, that sounds like an oaky town if I've ever heard one. Does it ever? Yeah, I bet. I bet Lyons, Nebraska, is probably a lot more happening place than Locust Grove, Oklahoma. Uh, like, just if I had to choose one place or another to live, I think I'd err on the lions nebraska side well arlen's park nebraska sounded pretty happening they had <laughs> they had bar floozies there they had a bar a bar yeah anyway uh i guess well, we should talk about well, we could we could talk about that the oklahoma thing but getting back to lions nebraska <laughs> um they have a pizza hut nearby they do they have are God- you looking at a, are you looking at a google maps <laughs> yes <laughs> um yeah lines nebraska has a godfather's nearby in the next town um but it looks like the only place in lions proper is something called the highway cafe the highway cafe yeah but there's a there's a town right next to lions called west point and they have uh they have a pizza ranch. Uh, mm. There's a pizza bar, 66. There's a maybe, CC's pizza. Oh my maybe God, one of those is part of the overall corporate structure family 
that pizza factory belongs to. Maybe I think it's those are it, franchise. It, 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 it's it's like oh yeah, it, I, I was just thinking maybe it's like um, you know how in the South it's Hardee's, but in the rest of the country it's Carl's Jr. sort of thing. Uh, there's a Save More Mart. Oh, there's the Fallout Bar. Mm-hmm. Uh, Palon Funeral Services Lions, Steinies Hardware. So I guess uh, they're they're still in business. Uh, then a different, differently spelled Steinies General Store, Betty's Craft Cottage, Lions Lumber. Uh, Memorial United Methodist Church. Hmm. You know, we should really change this podcast into just talking about <laughs> shitty small towns across shitty the United States. Towns. And like and you know, have people call in and tell us about their shitty <laughs> small town. Yeah, you know, sadly, like after watching after tonight's episode, we may both be like investigating whether that's been done yet <laughs> yeah um well getting back to locust grove uh, uh, locust grove yes th- they've got a ranch house pizza <laughs> uh and then there's mazio's 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 i wonder which which p- place is better. Do they have star ratings on them or anything? Or? It looks like uh, the first one I said was the winner. <laughs> uh, uh, Locust Grove is a town in Mays County, and the population was f- 1,423 at the 2010 census. Damn. Okay, so Dayton is a lot larger. Yeah, I mean, I, I had a feeling it was... Um, it was an oaky town. So back in the 1960s, getting back to the segment. Uh, oh, the kids. Yes, uh, with, the, with the mullet family. Um, in 1960, the population was 828 people. So it really hasn't grown very much since the 60s. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, it's... Well, okay, I guess that, like, maybe explains how people knew that those kids should be taken away from the, the family. Because... Yeah. Uh, what what we have here is uh, there's uh, Edith and Top Rogers um, who live in what is described as a small shack <laughs> mm-hmm. with their six kids. Um, and basically the the real quick gist on this is uh, both the parents are alcoholics. The father, uh, one 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 of the kids later, as an adult describes that the father he remembers the father being drunk about 90% of the time and he is one of those really angry abusive drunks so you know he, he wails on the kids uh, at one point he's like yelling at the mom and we have a reenactment of a kid coming down and picking up i can't remember if it was like a baseball bat or a stick or something and he starts walking like he's going to hit the guy but the father turns around and swats the the kid to the floor. The, the, you know, I, I like, you know, I, I think probably the best way to, to really sum up sum sum up how dire their situation is. All five five kids, or or at least all the sons, are all crammed into one bed together. Yeah. So it's, so it's just, I mean, you know, it's only one step above the. William Wonka and the Chocolate Factory situation because at least they're still kids, so they're yeah. not having. 
but yeah, it's um, they're all wearing the same type of overalls. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and yeah, unfortunately, the, the parents are just not fit to be parents. They're apparently gone on like binge drinking quite a bit of the time. The kids don't have shoes. They literally don't have shoes. Um, well, like, can I interject here for a second? I'm still reading about Locust Grove. Okay. Um, as of 2010, uh, the per ac- per capita income for the town was $9,191. And about 22.1% of families and 23% of the population were below the poverty line. That's uh, that's really bad. Yeah, so I, th- I think this mm, this has been a very poor area probably for a very long time. Shit. Yeah. Uh, damn. Well, <clears throat> I guess maybe it's fortunate then for these kids that they get taken away. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the father gets arrested for something. And so the mother learns she, the the kids are going to be taken away from her, and they she she they have this scene where she gives each of the boys a gift, and it's the exact same toy car, just mm-hmm. a couple of different colors. Mm-hmm. Um, and the kids are taken away from her. Then later they describe like, yeah, because I guess without without the kids, she didn't have anything to live for. She she ended up killing herself. So they're brought to the funeral. And the funeral is being presided over by a guy who, to me, does not look like a real pastor. Mm. It lo- he looks more like the kind of, you know, hokey television, you know, show. Please send me money, uh, and now I'll just randomly read bits of the bits of scripture in between asking for more money. Uh, and he decides to lead the, and I guess as confirmation of this, he decides to lead the the entire uh, assembled people. The father's there too in handcuffs. They they let him attend this uh, the, the funeral. Uh, he he leads them all in, not any sort of actual hymn or anything, but Silent Night. <laughs> and as yeah, one of the- I I I didn't understand this. I really don't. Especially since, like, as the one kid, who, uh, now an adult, who's describing it says that, like, from there on out, Silent Night was the most depressing song he, he could ever hear. And every time he heard it during Christmas time, yeah. you know, think of his dead mom. Yeah. Uh, um, it's, yeah, he said it was a funeral song for him from that point forward. Yeah. Um, did we mention that the dad was also <laughs> at the funeral? But, yeah. Um, uh, so what 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 kind of song do you what kind of out of you know inappropriate song could you picture being played at a funeral? Um, well, I guess in that vein, rocking around the Christmas tree would be really a weird <laughs> one to hear. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> schools out for some. <laughs> I guess so. Uh, anyway. Uh, so basically, yeah, the kids, they get sent to an orphanage. They all get adopted by other people. Mm. Uh, and then they begin tracking each other down. Uh, you know, a co- couple of decades later, the the daughter, Ella May, now renamed Celia Wa- Wagner, mm-hmm. uh, which 
at, at the very least, these you know, even if these kids didn't necessarily get a better household to grow up with, they all got better names. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I don't I don't want to get too much into this, but there are a lot of like the names they were given by their birth parents kind of do betray a lack of formal education. Um, uh, but yeah, uh, the si- sister, she writes to the Department of Human Services and literally at the same time, uh, one of the brothers, John, uh, now Johnny Lee, now John Rieger, um, he writes in, they, they end up meeting up the, uh, they then they get contacted by their brother Robert and then we have a very strange like I was confused by this for a lot for several minutes and I'm still not sure where I w- lean down on mm. describe how the three of them they go to the old family farm in Locust Grove I guess you know it's one of those things where you're you're trying to I don't know, bury the past or, or you know just uh put th- some things to rest and i wasn't sure at first like is this is this them actually going to this place like they did or is this because th- that they're they're reenacting themselves as adults is this them reenacting the time that the three of them went there <laughs> what do you think because like they're, they they give these these talks and speeches and they visit uh, you know, they, they look around the house, and I'm I'm still not sure. Well, I I'm not sure either because they they as they describe it again, it's one of those issues where the reenactment betrays what the the interviewees are saying. But they as they described it said that the house looked like it hadn't been lived in a really long time, but the outside shot of the house shows like a perfectly mowed lawn, like it looked really <laughs> nice. So I think. They probably just used what they could as okay. a stand-in. I don't. I don't know. Even maybe even by the time like they went to go film this, it was like condemned or something. This building. So, I I'm led to believe just because the exterior looks so well manicured that this can't possibly have been the house that they were talking about. Okay. Okay. So this was was definitely a reenactment. Then they end up uh, g- getting in contact with the other two siblings, one of whom lived not too far his name uh, his name's now rusty Don- donavant mm-hmm. and he'd actually met uh been at the sa- some of the same social functions as one of the other siblings yeah that was pretty wild and, i wasn't sure if they'd ever really spoken but they'd definitely seen each other before right right yeah i mean even though they haven't had a, a conversation with each other they were like in the same room and one of them says that they'd made like eye contact and stuff and it's just uh yeah wouldn't it have been awkward if they had like hooked up? <laughs> Let me tell you, I am so glad that like, and, and I was kind of curious too because um, I was kind of worried too that like, in in the first two re- reunions we get when Celia meets uh, John, John when he shows up, he brings like a single rose to give to her, which I mean can be a perfectly innocuous like sort of gift you give like your sister you haven't mm-hmm. seen in AIDS. Mm-hmm. Um, but then like he, 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 like he puts his arm around her as they're walking away from the truck. And I, I, I will admit, like, I kind of wondered whether they're suggesting that they're going to like s- sleep with each other. And then <laughs> they met with 
uh, rock when when the reuni- reunion with Robert happened. Did you notice that like when they're hugging each other, like Robert, uh, not not Robert, but John, uh, he lingers in the hug with Robert a little bit longer than, mm-hmm. uh, and so I I don't know. Uh, I I, I <laughs> guess I'm. <laughs> I think maybe our expectations have been temp- tempered by by the bachelor or something so that when you give someone a rose it means that you're going <laughs> to yeah marry them or go on another date or something. Then yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm sorry listeners that we even implied what we Gosh. just did. I'm just saying like a limited geographic area you're running to each other socially. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, they've been running in, like some of them have run into each other. So, uh, gosh, yeah, it would have been awkward if there had been any sort of actual like romantic or just uh, sexual encounter. Um, And then there's another one, another mullet, uh, Billy, who's out in Tennessee. Uh, Now now named Chuck Young. Yeah. Yeah. He flies in. And they the, the five of them all have a big reunion at the airport, and it's actually it's actually really nice to see them all together. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this family reunited. You know, they they didn't have they don't have any parents because um, and and the father he he died as well. And the the first three reunites visited his grave, and I think it was Robert who was talking about how initially like over the years he had thought about all the things he was going to say to his father and uh, uh, then when they visit the grave he just like you know i mean obviously he's not forgiving the guy for his shitty parenting or or, you know just general human behavior Mm -hmm. but he just his anger just completely dissipates and it kind of feels like he finds some just some peace and to me, that's just ultimately this segment's just really great because these these five people, they don't have, you know they don't have parents, so you know they're really the only biological family they got. And they all found each other, and it's it's a really nice you know it's, it's a nice story, and it's it's you know interesting. It, it's nice to have a reunion that doesn't involve the Vietnam War. <laughs> <laughs> well. Um... I, I mean, I feel deeply sad for this family having to be broken up the way that they were. But even some of them say, you know, it was probably they for went the, on to lead better lives than they would have had they okay. stayed with their parents. So uh, I guess after this uh, podcast is over, we'll, we'll be doing Robert and Crystal's shitty small towns of America podcast, right? Yeah. Well, I mean... Unsolved Mysteries is kind of a shitty small towns of America show, (laughs) isn't it? Since there's just like update segments now, which are just rehashes in the middle of the show of segments that have already aired. uh... (laughs) Yeah, we and now we uh, we got a an up a very mini a very small update. Yeah. Um. So I'm sure this will be a segment we run into at some point. Uh, it concerns a guy named John Mooney. Uh, he was involved in some sort of, um, you know, he he was in a dispute with this guy named uh, T.K. Hardy, mm-hmm. and apparently they they owned rival restaurants or something, 
And I'm sure the reason that John Mooney hired um, uh, a guy named, what was his name? Elmo Florence to commit a, a murder, a, a murder of TK Hardy is probably not related to the restaurant business, but I like to pretend it is <laughs> that this was a, a restaurant rivalry gone wrong. And I also, I guess I was probably put in that state of mind because at first I misheard when, because the last name of the guy is Hardy, H-A-R-T-Y. Mm-hmm. I thought they said Hardy. Mm-hmm. I was like, really? The founder of Hardy's was gunned down? I, I didn't know. <laughs> Wait, you thought this was about, about the founder of Hardy's? I I have to admit, I was temporarily under that impression. Uh, was it? Did you think it was Carl's Jr. that murdered him? <laughs> oh, like he was seizing control of the organization. Mm-hmm. Like, it was I, the uh, the Carl's Jr. Hardy's merger was very hostile. <laughs> so, man, uh, about as hostile as you can get. Um, but no, it's just some guy uh, named T.K. Hardy. God damn it. Yeah, uh, as as fun as uh, we'll we'll have to have like a whole conversation at some point, uh, hypothesizing about fast food restaurant founders killing each other, like you know, well, Dave, Dave all Tom- of my money is on Ray on Ray Croc. Croc, yeah, all of my money he comes out on top every time. <laughs> that guy was you a know, son of a bitch. After watching the founder, <laughs> I uh, I gotta say, yeah, I. I, I would not I would not bet against that man. No, he uh, was ruthless. Yeah. <laughs> Shit. Um but who's also ruthless is apparently this John Mooney guy. I'm not even sure they don't really establish so we'll have to wait for the segment why he had TK Hardy killed, but he put some guy up to it. Yeah, he hired an assassin, basically. <laughs> assassin. And we know about this because some I can't remember, like an electrician? No, no, the assassin was an electrician. Um, th- someone told a bartender somewhere about this. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure we'll find out the details later. Anyway, uh, they were looking for these guys, but they caught them. Mm-hmm. In Scottsdale, and- Arizona. Again, this is the second time they find fugitives in Scottsdale since we've been doing this podcast. Who was the first fugitive? I don't got? remember, but I know that yeah, it was yeah, Scottsdale. No, so far, Scott- it's, it's been like Southern Nevada or Arizona. Scottsdale, Arizona is where they pick pick up fugitives. Bunch of uh, fugitives and baseball cards circulating around mm-hmm. that area. Um, damn. Okay, well, yeah, that's all there is to say. This was a very brief update. That leads us to our final segment. It concerns a police officer named Ralph Probst. Probst? Probst? Probst. Not Fanable. Probst. Probst. Who was, uh, <laughs> he, he, he was a, an office, a Illinois sheriff's officer in Cook County. And he was he was with his wife in their living room watching the Academy Awards, the 39th annual Academy Awards, mm-hmm, which was in 1967, 1967. And this was April 10th. He got up to go to the kitchen 
and was shot and killed uh, through the window of his kitchen just as he, he entered the kitchen. Um, so the whole mystery is like who killed him and trying to figure it out because it's very strange that you're um, for him to just immediately walk into this room and be shot mm-hmm. because the 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 criminal who did it would have had to have been um, just standing out in the driveway in apparently a relatively well wit, uh, lighted neighborhood. And I guess you know if you do that for a few hours holding a gun, you're gonna people are gonna notice. Uh, so this was the whole mystery here is this had to be someone who knew that Probst was going to be in the kitchen at that exact moment. Um, so they run through some scenarios here and there, there's a couple of interesting moments because at first they're trying to figure out, well, maybe his wife did it because she says she woke up, she found, you know, uh, when, when, when he was shot, ran into the kitchen, there was smoke in the kitchen and they're like, that's very strange. There, there shouldn't be smoke from the gun in the kitchen, but they do some tests on this, which I thought was really fascinating. Uh, also kind of, uh, I'm, I'm wondering, did they like put in a new thing of windows to run these tests the well what it looked like they were happen what was happening is that they had an officer sitting on the couch with uh this man's widow while they shot a gun into the window again that's what looked like it was happening <laughs> that that is that that did happen yes um and i think they could, you wouldn't do that you wouldn't do that that's not a thing that police would do. But the, in the reenactment, I think it was so they could recreate the smoke effect that the woman said she saw when she woke up after she heard the gunshot, that there was smoke in her kitchen. Right. Um, but it looks like they're just firing into straight into the house, <laughs> house. <laughs> while they're just sitting on the couch. And it's a straight shot, basically, from the view of the kitchen into the living room. I just doesn't seem responsible at all no No. (laughs) shouldn't do that (laughs) yeah um but they do actually get uh uh, the two things first they manage not to kill anyone (laughs) um and second they they are able to determine because they first they do they do a shot that's however many feet away and the bullet goes in there's no smoke then they um and the you know the glasses goes into the, the the kitchen uh but then they try another they shoot from just a couple of inches away. The glass, fi- you know, flies out it, not into the kitchen, but onto the uh, driveway and the smoke enters the kitchen. So they, they have their evidence to know that the white, the widow is not lying that sh- what, how she described the situation is how it worked. So they eliminate her. Then they, they describe, uh, a couple of other possible scenarios. One involving this organized crime guy named Sam Di Stefanano, who looks more like the kind of the person playing him looks like the kind of guy you cast as like uh, some sort of vaguely eccentric uncle to a TV family. I I feel like they wanted to get Paul Sorvino for this, but they couldn't. Oh, man, it's, yeah, it's Paul- such a Paul Sorvino type. They they should have just skimmed the but like skimmed down on the budget for all the other episodes. This and just season. just got Paul Sorvino for this. Yeah, it would have been vastly improved. 
<laughs> Robert Stacks doing all the uh, all the the inner uh, segment openings in front of just the western union across from their office uh, at unsolved mysteries or something um yeah no uh yeah the, but yeah so the the situation that they ran into here where the uh officer ralph and his partner bob burrow burrowski is they they come into this room this this mobster guy he's temporarily in a hospital to receive treatment and he's being like he has his i assume his wife and some either relative or crime partner or probably both in there with them and the officers shoo them out because he's not supposed to have visitors and they they force him back on the bed and inform him that he's going to have to eat the actual hospital food and not the chinese food that was brought up for him and uh this guy is irate he's Mm -hmm. like He's telling Officer Ralph, like, you better grow eyes in the back of your head and da da da. But for me, what was more fascinating was when Officer Bob takes the fruit basket and shoves it in the hands of the one of the male visitors <laughs> as he's pushing him out. The the mob guy is telling him, You better not eat any of my apples. Nobody knows what the future holds, my friend. So that's how uh, <laughs> that's how I like to pretend that Sam De, De, De Stefano really really likes apples and that's actually mm-hmm. his, his mob name is he's apples d mm-hmm. um but yeah that was so a if, really weird <laughs> weird thing, thing to include in the reenactment was just like yeah. you, you get your cop of hands off my <laughs> apples <laughs> the cop should have taken those apples and slashed them on the floor and said how do you like them apples do you like apples It was a real missed opportunity. They should have done that. <laughs> oh man, totally. Uh, not not. It probably would have been entirely accurate, but uh, I get. I'm starting to get the feeling that some of the things they depict in these reenactments are, are condensed mm, for time. So. Yeah, or maybe just made up. Or <laughs> made up in their entirety. Yes. Um, so uh, Sam De, St- De Stefano, Unsolved Mysteries posits that he's a possible uh suspect even though apparently actual law enforcement didn't think so mm-hmm. and then the other um the other possible explanation is that prior to his murder um uh ralph visited a guy named frank calvesi calvesi cal guy caldas i have caldas yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I don't know why. Why? Oh no! Wait, wait. Did did Ralph visit him? No. We don't know what what the assumption was is that maybe Ralph was trying to bust a vice ring, but he was kind of oh. going off and doing his own thing. So we don't right. really know. Yeah, they established that Ralph. Uh, Ralph. He, he's 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 doing something on his own. And he thinks it's going to lead up to a big bust. Uh, this Frank guy, he visited Ralph's neighbor across the street on the pretense of buying his house. Mm-hmm. And he has asked a lot of questions like, do all the houses on this neighborhood use this floor plan? 
and you know the guy owns the house it's like yeah yeah most of them were built blah 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 and he's like interesting and they go in the kitchen he's like so you know he's he, they're, they're showing him as if he's like looking around like yeah this you know if i'm gonna shoot in and kill this guy this is uh where i do it mm. um but you know they n- nothing ever came of of that suspicion and the thing that you know the thing that people the real mystery here is trying to figure out whoever did this had to have known that Ralph was going to be going into his kitchen at like that precise moment. And one of the clues we get for this is that he visited a gas station uh, the afternoon of, of his murder and made a call from the payphone. And so they're wondering maybe that's somehow related to all this. Mm-hmm. And I, I just, I, I don't know if you caught this, but in the reenactment, because obviously we have no idea what Ralph was saying in the phone uh, phone call. So when the re- when the actor goes into the, the into the phone booth and he he makes the call, like he, he you know he, he says hello or introduces himself or something, and then closes the door of the phone booth on the camera. So so we you know uh, to prevent us from hearing the, the, this hypothetical conversation. Um, but yeah, so we we don't know what is going on. If someone had made an arrangement with Ralph that they're going to call him at a particular time, and that's how they knew, um, and they they never solved this mystery. Uh, so, no, but Bob Borowski, his partner, made a vow on the day of Ralph's funeral that he was going to get to the bottom of it. So it yeah, it kind of it closes on Bob. You know, it's been twenty. 30 years no yeah, at this uh, point it would have been 20 some years from 1967 sure. and Bob's retired but he's still like out there looking unofficially investigating and um, it uh, this whole segment really reminded me of probably because I just watched it recently of LA Confidential oh okay <laughs> Uh, because i feel like it's like a real rollo tomasi like whoever the murderer was and (laughs) maybe the reason that it wasn't investigated thoroughly or some suspects weren't questioned thoroughly is because maybe this thing goes all the way to the top all the way to the top so you're thinking there was corruption in the police department this might be uh wow well this is this took place in chicago right that's a good point. Good point. I'm just saying. Not phenomenal. Yeah. Both of those a... corruption in Chicago both start with the letter C. They do indeed. And so does the word coincidence. But let's move on. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the trifecta. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. There's there's no update. So. Do you think? Do you think Ralph got to see who won best pit? won best picture at the academy awards i don't think he did because his wife apparently fell asleep during the broadcast and, and so he's they're in the probably kitchen, so they don't know part of the way through like yeah. the, the, maybe they saw best supporting actress and that was it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, they probably got to like best song best song yeah assuming the 1967 academy awards are organized much the same way that modern ones are robbie who who won best picture that year the winner of the 39th annual academy awards award for best picture was the film a man for all seasons Uh which apparently is a 
the, about the story of Thomas More, who refused the King Henry VIII's request that he write a letter to the Pope asking him to uh, uh, annul his marriage to Catherine of Aragon. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was directed by uh, Fred Zinnemann, Zinnemann, Z-I-N-N-E-M-A-N-N, who won Best Director as well. Hmm. Uh, it beat out the films Alfie, The Russians Are Coming, The Russians Are Coming, The Sand Pebbles, and Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. Uh, and in fact, pretty much everything, uh, almost all the awards that were won during this Academy uh, award show were either won by a man for all seasons or who's afraid of Virginia Woolf. I've, I've heard of who's afraid of Virginia Woolf. I've not heard of this other movie. Um, they, they, they they clean up between the two of them, uh, which sounds if, as if it is, as you described it, that sounds tedious as hell. It just sounds like a guy (laughs) writing a letter, refusing to write a letter. It's a guy not doing a thing. <laughs> it sounds like it'd be perfect as a segment for t- the, the episode of Unsolved Mysteries we watched for this podcast. Well, um, and no wonder um, Ralph's wife fell asleep. Goodness. Um, one of the pe- very peculiar things that I have noticed now living in L.A., and it is now award season. We just, the Golden Globes were last Sunday to date, ah. to date the recording a little bit. But there's something very particular to Los Angeles that I've never seen in any other city before, which is... Oh, I bet I, I know what it is, but go ahead. Um, well, what do you think it is? Billboards asking people to consider voting for... yeah. Yeah, yeah, there's all these, fr- and there's, you know, bus posters, they're on buses, they're on billboards, it's all this for your consideration. Right, and right. And I'm like, how many Academy members could possibly be seeing these things? I don't know how many people are in the Academy, I don't know how many people vote in the Golden Globes. Um, well, I mean, to, to, to vote in the Academy Awards, you just have to be like... Isn't it? You just have to be like a member of the Screen Actors Guild. Is that it? No, you have to be a member of the Academy. So the Screen Actors Guild is different. That's just Ah. for actors and film, and you have to pay your dues to a separate organization. And the Academy is basically like once you have applied to be in it, you're in it for life. So if you were in a movie in 1952 once as an extra, you can apply to be in the Academy and then you're a voting member for life. I think they're changing the rules up a little bit because their membership is getting so skewed. Um, remember that Oscar's so white <laughs> thing? So yeah. they're trying to address that. But any, without getting into all of that, like it's been a very strange experience uh, being, being here during award season because it's like for your consideration I'm like consider what I already saw the movie like what am I considering and then renting <laughs> on DVD yeah like I already have Netflix what am I considering you know so uh, but then I uh, then I had to ask my showbiz boyfriend what that was all about and he's oh man he's like well it's not just the Oscars there's all these other awards and yes people live down here and they see these things, so. Yeah, no, I mean, I guess it would make sense. Like, there, a lot of show business people are living in Los Angeles. So if you're going to buy those billboards anywhere, it might as well be there. Um, I, 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 am, I am vaguely aware that, oh, 
Okay, so it looks like there's 6,000, uh, the roster of the academies, 6,000 professionals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, so- it's, not just, it's not just actors. There's all kinds of people that are in the academy. Whereas the Screen Actors Guild is definitely just actors. It's an right. award... It's the FUBU of awards. It's by actors for actors. <laughs> a fresh round of patting yourselves on the back. Yeah. Uh, they I, love um, to do it. So we hope that you manage to survive through this uh, very long episode. Um, at least it felt like it was a really long episode. If you are on the internet, please... Visit us at Twitter and retweet every tweet that our account makes, and tell all of your friends to watch us. Wait, even the even the racist ones? Oh shit! Um, yeah, don't retweet those. Um, so we're at Reenacted Pod on Twitter. Our email is reenactedpod at gmail.com. We're on Facebook as well, Reenacted Podcast. Uh, Robbie, do you want to do the outro? For every mystery, there is someone, somewhere, knows the truth. Perhaps that someone is watching. Perhaps it's you.